Evening, everybody. Do keep that open in front of you. Um, but we're going to start, first of all, with a little game of Would You Rather. Um, anyone, anyone played Would You Rather? I think loads of you played Would, Would You Rather, I'm sure. Um, if you haven't, don't worry. It's super, super simple. I'm just going to give you two options of things that are actually both probably fairly unpalatable that you'd rather not do, but you have to choose between one or the other. Okay? Ready to play? Maybe, maybe not. But we're going to do it anyway. Here's the first one, right? Would you rather give up showering for a month or give up the internet for a month? Which one? What do you think? Just have a quick chat with the people around you. Okay, I'll just give you 10 seconds. You've got to say which you'd rather and why. Okay, folks. All right, don't worry, I'm not going to put you on the spot and uh, get, get, get anyone to own up about whether you really care about personal hygiene or not. Um, here's the second one, right? Would you rather have to sing along or dance along to every single song that you heard. Go on, once again, with the people beside you. Which would you rather and why? You have to choose. Okay, okay, gonna move you, move you along there, move you along. Here's the third one. Would you rather be 11 feet tall or 11 inches tall? In other words, would you rather be the same height as Johnny Greenshields or... Uh, Actually, that'd be unfair to say. Same height as me, midget me. Um, go on, have another quick discussion. Which would you rather and why? Okay, okay, gonna call you, call you back to order there again. If you wanna get Johnny's tips uh, later on, we can show you the rack downstairs um, and, uh, and stretch you out. But here's, here's one final one. You're gonna have to listen really hard. I'm ramping this up a little bit here. Would you rather be a parent to a hundred children, have loads of kids, have millions of pounds, but never really be satisfied and have no one pitch up at your funeral? Or would you rather be a stillborn baby? Or to put this another way, would you rather be breathless at birth or restless having lived? Uh, now you may say that's provocative. Uh, I, I suspect you would say it was provocative. Uh, you may also say it's insensitive because not least there will be some people here who have had the heartbreak of having a stillborn baby. But that would you rather is taken straight from this book of Ecclesiastes. Have a look at Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children, the preacher writes, and lives many years, so the days of his years are many, and his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has, also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. So here's this man, right? Massive family. It sounds insane, doesn't it? I look around at people who've got uh, four or five kids, and I go, how do they do that? But this, this guy's got 100. But please know, in this culture, having loads and loads of kids was seen as a sign of, of great blessing. And this guy's also really prosperous. His life is full of good things. Other translations say that he was rich. But there's one thing all the way through his life that escaped him. What was it? Joy. Lasting happiness. He had loads of good things in his life, but he was never satisfied. And loads of people in his life, and yet none of them bothered to turn up to his funeral when he died. You see, 
Just as no amount of money will guarantee you happiness, neither will it guarantee that you are loved during your life. He had everything, our world might say. No, he had nothing. And so, end of verse 3 again, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he, for it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Why is the stillborn child better off than this man? Because it had more rest. The preacher in this book says it is better to pass on life entirely than to waste your life chasing after the wind like this guy did. Now, is this, would you rather, provocative? Yeah, dead right it is. Is it insensitive? Well, I, I think so. But before you rush to judgment and write it off, for those of you who were here last week, remember what the preacher said, how he warned us of the foolishness of just running our, our mouths off, thinking that we know best how life works. Rashly just thinking, yeah, 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 yeah I got this. But instead, stopping and humbling ourselves and listening to God first and foremost. That's what we've got to do, says the preacher. So what does God want to say to us through this strange and provocative passage from his word? Well, it's not that he would rather that we were a stillborn child. No, it's just that given that you do still have breath in your lungs and that it is such a struggle to find peace in this restless world of ours. God, through the preacher, is so desperate to ensure that you do not waste your life like this man, that he is willing to resort to shock tactics in order to wake you up and stir you up and, and get you to listen while you still can. And he's getting at this thing that I think we all think, <laughs> That life will get better if only we have more money and more stuff. That's what our culture thinks. That, that's what creeps into our thinking as well. So verses five, uh, sorry, chapter 5, verses 10 to 7, the preacher basically says, if you love money and you think it will make you secure and happy, then think again. For those who are rich are never happy. <laughs> Having more money only makes you more anxious. You hoard it, it harms you. You gain it, you lose it. And then when you die at the end of your life, you can't take it with you. It's gone forever. In the words of the rapper, notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems. But then the preacher introduces to two people who both have loads of stuff and asks us to play, not would you rather, but spot the difference. Because one of these two men has something the other doesn't have. I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 5 from verse 18. And I want you to play spot the difference. See if you can spot the difference between these two guys. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the, all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth 
and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's person one. Here's person two. There is an evil, goes on the preacher, that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth and possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Okay, look at those two men. What do they both have? Money, wealth, loads of it. But one of these guys has been given something different, haven't they? What have they been given? Happiness. The power, the ability to enjoy that stuff. And who's given it to them? God. Only God can give that. Now, you've got to notice, those are two different things there. The stuff you have and the ability to enjoy them. We made the mistake of thinking, those two things are contained, actually, within the same thing. Let me give you some examples. So you buy a new hoodie. Or you unwrap a present. Or you open an Amazon delivery. Or you have another child. Or you have a child in the first place. Or you hit another milestone in life. And you think that that thing will bring you joy. That I will unbox this thing. Or or meet this person. and, And joy will be in the box or in that person. Wrong. Absolutely wrong, says the writer of Ecclesiastes. The preacher says that you can have all the stuff in the world or all the people in the world that you want, but lack the ability to enjoy it or enjoy them. It's like when you read on the box of a, of a toy that you might have unwrapped at Christmas. Batteries sold separately. Every purchase you make, every achievement you hit, it should say on it, stamped in clear lettering, Satisfaction is sold separately. You see, the ability is not contained within the the thing itself. The ability is given to you by God alone. Joy isn't contained in the gifts that we have, but joy is contained within the giver, God himself. A separate thing. Let me illustrate Maybe again. Maybe I've already done this. <laughs> but, but let me illustrate again. So you can have the best food, the most wonderful food in the world. I hope you're not hungry at the moment. But, but, you can, you can have that. but if you don't have any taste buds, it's utterly meaningless and pointless. You can't enjoy it. Or you can have the best music in the world. Discuss later what you think that actually is. All right, we have many arguments in our household. But it would be pointless to have that music if you don't have the ears to hear it. I could go on with that, couldn't I? But you see the point, don't you? The difference between these two people in Ecclesiastes was not the stuff that they have, but the heart that they had. They did not have the ability to enjoy it within themselves. So they were never satisfied. That ability is only something that God can give. And so for us to have joy in life, 
What is necessary is not a, a change in the amount of stuff we have or a, or a change in our circumstances, but it's a change in our heart. Rest will not come delivered to your door by Amazon. Rest will come delivered to your heart by God. And God has designed us in that way, deliberately designed us like that, so that we will wake up and realize that joy can only be found in him. If you're looking for rest in this world, if you're looking for enjoyment in this world, I think we all are, aren't we? Well, if we're looking for it anywhere else than God, then we will chase it like the wind until the day that we die and never find it. So the call tonight is to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and hear his voice as he says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We can only find it in him. And, and, and as he says that to you, maybe what you need to do for the, for the first time ever, or maybe again, is get on your knees and pray to him. Oh, Lord, Lord Jesus, help me to stop chasing after the wind. Change my heart and give me the ability to be at peace, to enjoy the great gifts that you have given me. And now you might have thought that uh, first would you rather was a bit uh, on the heavy side of things and you might be tempted to think, surely the preacher will just lighten up a little bit now. Uh, but if you've been here over the first uh, past five weeks or so, <laughs> you'd, be, uh, you'd be wise to think, maybe not so much. Um, and sure enough, here's the second would you rather. Find at the start of chapter seven. Would you rather go to a feast or a funeral? Do you see that there in verses 1 and 2? Uh, well, actually, verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning, says the preacher, than to go to the house of feasting. What? I mean, surely he has absolutely lost it this time, hasn't he? I mean, imagine on leaving church this evening, I presented you with the choice of heading up the hill to the West Road crematorium or going across to the metro center if it was still open for a cheeky Nando's. I mean, I know where I'm going every day of the week. Don't you? But the preacher knows that the reason we want to go to Nando's rather than the creme is because we, we really don't like thinking about death. We don't want to think about our own especially. Yet the best answer to death is not to avoid it, but to front up to it and let it educate us, let it teach us for this is the end of all mankind, says the preacher. And the living will lay it to heart. I mean, think about it. Almost anything meaningful that we do in life, you start with the end in mind, don't you? So if you, if you play a musical instrument, I think, I think quite a few of you, you do. Why was it you first actually sat down and started you know, making horrible noises with an instrument that annoyed everybody else in your family? Well, it's because you had, a, you had a vision of the end, of joining a band and impressing other people, and, or at the very least making noises that were pleasant on the ear for you and others. Or why is it so many people at this time of year, at the start of a new year, head for the gym? Because the end in mind is, is to get fit, to, to lose some of the flab, to, you know, to develop some, some abs so they can look in the mirror like I do at the end of the night and go, no, 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 okay, fine, let's, oh, we, won't, we won't bother doing that. It's, we all know that's a fallacy. Um, but, but having the end in mind, 
it, it teaches you what you need to do now in order to get there, doesn't it? And it coaches you to keep going. It keeps, no, 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 that's where I'm going. So you don't give up. And that's what the preacher's saying here. Start with the end in mind. Come on, let's go. Let's go visit your funeral and learn to live life backwards. It's a bit like that Friends episode. I don't know if you've seen, seen that, where, where Ross fakes his own death um, and holds a memorial service to see who's going to pitch up. And but then, actually, he, he, he hides behind the door and, and listens at the door in order to see what they say about him. Well, if you could do that for real, says the preacher, you would find out what kind of person you become in life. I mean, just look at verse 1, will you? A good name is better than precious ointment. <laughs> we get that, don't we? It doesn't matter how hard you try and kind of make the external experience, the external, your external appearance great, you know, cover yourself in, you know, nice aftershave or perfume or whatever, if inside your character stinks. So much so that people wince when they hear your name. But again, think about it. The kind of person you become, the kind of character you develop in life, will only be truly known at the end. Which is why the second half of the verse goes on. The day of death is better than the day of birth. So we're on the maternity ward, right? And a newborn baby has been born. It's a day of great joy, isn't it? But there's not much that we can really say about that baby at this moment. You know, it's one of those moments where actually you're allowed to say somebody's weight. You know, hopefully we've got a name, maybe, if we've got that far. Um, you know, someone might say something kind of like, they look just like their mother, which I always think is a bit unfair on the mother, um, considering you know, most babies look like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Um, okay, so I'm not supposed to say that, apparently. Um, but, but listen, you, you know, the day of your birth, it only speaks really, it doesn't say much about you, it just speaks about the potential of, what, of who you might become. Whereas the day of your death speaks exactly of who you have been. Your day of death gives a much better valuation of your life than any other day up until that point. So fast forward to the day of that baby's death. What can we say about them then? Well, she really loved her gardening. She really loved her music. She really loved... You fill in the blank. Maybe something from your own life. Something that... Actually, ultimately, when you get there to the end, it's not that much at all. Or maybe we could say, oh, she was so kind, so generous, so servant-hearted. She was wise. She brought so much joy to the people around her. She was so much like Jesus, actually. Do you see? The day of death is better than the day of birth. Not because death is better than life. It is not. But because the coffin is a better teacher than a cot. The things that don't really matter, but which we give so much time to now, will seem empty and pointless at the grave. Whereas the lives we touch, the generosity we showed... And the love that we gave or received seems so much more 
coming to terms with the fact that we will one day, that one day people will stand in a crematorium or a church and say things about us should affect how we live today, shouldn't it? Which is why the preacher says in verse 5, it's better for a man or a woman to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. I mean, if you want to grow and develop and become the sort of person who is loved and celebrated at their funeral, do you want to know how to do that? Then listen to criticism. Listen to people who are willing to lovingly point out your faults. I mean, we'd, we'd really rather not do that. We would rather hear the song of fools. We'd rather put the earbuds back in our, our, um, uh, our ears and press shuffle. But only the fool does that. Folks, do you want to, do, do you have somebody in your life who, who is wise, who's trying to live like Jesus, someone who you can trust, who you know is on your side? Then go to them sometime this week and say to them, please, can you tell me my character faults? Can you tell me the things that I need to work on to become a better person, to become more like Jesus? Verse 8, am I proud? Help me to develop patience. Verse 9. Am I hot-headed? I don't want to be hot-headed. Help me to be slow to anger. Verse 26. I, I, I know I'm ensnared by lust. Help me to find a way out. I, I don't want to be a fool and ruin my life. I want to live well now so that I can die well later. And ultimately, the only way there is only one way that we can die well. Only one way. And that's not actually by just trying to live life well now. It's discovering that death is not the end, but a doorway to eternal life. Let me take you to another funeral. This time, it's in the past, not in the future. And it's late at night and there's only a handful of people there as a crucified man is wrapped in linen cloths and laid in a tomb. It's the saddest day in history. For this man who claimed to be God, the savior of the world. But what happens next changes everything we think about death. As that man, Jesus, took on death and punched it in the mouth, he defeated it bursting his way through the grave early one Sunday morning. And he promises to take all who trust in him through death when their time comes, on, comes to pass on too and join him in resurrection life. So for the Christian, death is not an exitless box, but a doorway to be with Jesus in perfect peace and rest and joy forevermore. Folks, we've all got this sneaking suspicion, don't we, that, that death is not the end. And at that point, it will not be our verdict on lives, on our lives, or, or even those who turn up to say nice things about us, but it will be God's verdict that matters most. And the Bible is really clear that if we've spent our life ignoring him and what he says and living our own way, then we will be separated from him at that point separated from him and all of the good things that he gives 
for all eternity. But if we do know him, then that changes everything. As for those who get to attend your funeral, they will do so with tears rolling down their eyes. They will weep because loving relationships are so hard to find and to keep hold of. And yet, they will be glad because though the person that they love is lost from sight, they are not lost from Jesus' sight but safe at home with him in his everlasting arms. Jesus entered the house of mourning so that we could be brought to his eternal house of feasting. And again, how, you live your, how your life ends should move you to start getting ready for that today. So I, I guess if you've only recently started looking into Christianity, the whole idea of a man rising again from the dead must sound crazy to you. But why don't you investigate the evidence? There's a, a really helpful book in that regard written by a guy called Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. Strobel uh, was and is an investigative uh, journalist. And he set out, actually, he was really skeptical about the Christian faith and, and set out to disprove it when his wife became a Christian. And yet as he dug into the evidence, he found it led him to a totally different conclusion than the one he'd hoped. So just ask myself, or one of the staff team, or, or maybe one of your encounter leaders, if you'd like to get hold of a, a copy of that. Um, that's the adult version. There's a, there's a thinner um, a student version uh, as well. Um, just ask one of us, and we can try and source you a copy if you'd like to dig into that and read that and investigate the evidence. But if you've done that already, if you've, if you've heard all of this before, maybe loads of times before, maybe tonight is the night to turn to and trust in Jesus. Don't keep putting it off. Don't keep thinking that you can wait until you're ready or until you've done this or that with your life. No, start with the end in mind. It's the only way to find the ability to enjoy life now in this restless world of ours. And it's the only way to grow in wisdom and godliness so that we don't waste our lives. And it's the only way to be ready for what is next so that we can face our death, not with despair and fear, but in joy and actually anticipation because we know because of Jesus, the future is secure and better than anything this world has to offer. Let me pray that for us before we close our service of song. Let's pray together now. Maybe just take a little moment to think that through for yourself, just where you're at, and then I'll say a prayer for us. Our Father God, we, we thank you so much that you have, have given us so many things to enjoy, so many good things in this life, and we do enjoy them. 
yet the enjoyment is so fleeting. And we find our hearts are restless. So we do pray that you would help us to turn to you, to trust in you. And we ask you that you would give us the ability to enjoy things, to find peace and rest in this world, a contentment that only you can give. And Father, we pray that you would help us also to know that incredible security that comes from knowing Jesus, not just now that we can enjoy life and find peace and contentment and happiness in this world, but we can find incredibly, wonderfully, a peace in facing up to death too. Father, it is the ultimate thing that we fear, and yet Jesus beat it. We thank you so much for his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, and we pray that you would help us to put our trust in him so that we could find that wonderful victory he gives in all things now and for the future. Pray you would help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.